Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. And Desi. Yes. We oh. just put some new stuff up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Everything is Halloween related this month. There's lots of spooky stuff, scary stuff. And our after show, which could be scary. Our after show is definitely Halloween related. Yes. So check that out. In addition to what's up this month, you have access to everything that's ever been put up. And there's lots of haunted. Stuff from Halloween month past. Some of my favorite episodes we've ever done for Patreon involve our Halloween episodes. Just search Haunted. Yeah, just some good stuff. (laughs) Seriously, just search Haunted. (laughs) Um, This week we had Annabelle, Josh, Stephanie, Courtney, Stanton, Diana, Stephen, Sophia, Jeff, Sarah, Mount McDaniel, Paige, Ambrose, Bianca, Raven, Timothy, Kendra, Jamie, Sherilyn, Susan, Haley, Elizabeth, Daisy, Kara, Michael, Lisa, Anastasia, Jennifer, Catherine, Emma, LP, Katie, Sarah, Leah, Melanie, Greta, Mel, Christina, Amanda, Sarah, Sydney, Jesse, Christy, Kaylee, And I'll stop there. Thank you. Desi. Yes. Everybody. Yes. This (laughs) this week, we are doing part two of Haunted Los Angeles. Cool. Are you ready? I am. Well, Desi. Yes. Our first haunted location that we're talking about this week is the Gershwin Apartment Complex. Oh. This has nothing to do with the Gershwins. Okay. But, I mean, I'm sure they named it after them. But they didn't... It's not like a... Live there. It's not like an Ira Gershwin-themed... No. (laughs) ...establishment. (laughs) But this apartment complex is located at 5533 Hollywood Boulevard, and it might be one of the most cursed buildings in Los Angeles, according to me. Oh. Because since it's opened... In the 1920s, this building has been the location of multiple suicides, suicide attempts, accidents, robberies, assaults, and murders. It has it all. It has a long history of wild things happening and lots of interesting residents. Wait, this is on Hollywood and... It's on Hollywood and like... Almost Western? Yeah, Hollywood and Western. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to place it. So it's so, a little further East Hollywood. Like getting, it's like East Hollywood. Yeah. So um, 
The Petco is like down the block. <laughs> you know the Petco? Very cursed. Um, and the Ralph's part. Yeah, like I know that. Where it is. Honestly, that's kind of a fucked up like little shopping center. That's a very haunted shopping center. That used to be my grocery store when I lived in East Hollywood. Was that Ralph's? Anyway, this apartment complex, we're going to get into the history of it. It dates back to the 20s. This site was formerly called the St. Francis Hotel. Okay. And it offered long-term stays for many of its residents. In its early days, the St. Francis was described as upscale and even fashionable, but that didn't seem to last. The hotel did seem to attract a variety of different people. A former resident, a photographer named Penny Wolin, told the LA Times about arriving at the hotel in the 1970s. She said... I looked around and said, wow, this is just everybody. This is humanity. There were people there on their way up, people on their way down, young and old, gay and straight, black and white, people from all different walks. Now, in my newspaper research, I found that the residents of this hotel throughout the years ranged from service workers to army veterans to film industry workers and artists. It really was a big variety of different people who came through this hotel slash long-term stay place. Now, this photographer, Penny Wolin, she published a book called Guest Register not too long ago that documents her time living at the hotel in 1975 as a 21-year-old. I want to get this book. That sounds interesting. It looks pretty cool. I saw some of the photos. It's all black and white photography, and this book captures the diverse array of the St. Francis Hotel's residents at that time. So let's go back in time and take a look at some of the incidents that have occurred at this building. The first being in 1935, when 16-year-old Miriam Plant discovered the body of her father, James, in their room at the St. Francis. He had committed suicide by shooting himself in the heart. (gasps) James left behind a note citing his nervous condition. And sadly, that would not be the last time that someone would attempt to or take their own life at this hotel. In 1943, 58-year-old actor Eugene McCarthy jumped to his death from the fifth floor fire escape. Whoa. And this fire escape, I found multiple instances of people jumping from like the fourth floor or the fifth floor of this fire escape over the years, sometimes surviving, sometimes not. I was going to say that's... A risk, a risky jump as far as like if you, you might survive that. Do you, you know what I mean? Like you might survive that. And um, it's really sad that there was like multiple instances of this. I don't know if at any point they ever put any like any kind of safety thing, but it seemed right. like it happened a lot. Yeah. Well, they find they, those places often do get these, like I live by a bridge that's known as Suicide Bridge. Yes. And there's a complete chain link fence now all across the bridge on both sides. Right. Which kind of, it's sad because obviously, well, you're protecting people, but it's also sad because it looks, this is like a historic bridge and this chain link fence just kind of look, it's like really tall. It has really thin circles so you can't stick your foot in it. Yeah. Like it's uh it's just weird to see and kind of scare it's kind of dark when you drive past it's it. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad because it makes you think of those people. Yeah. It's sad. Anyway, the following year in 1944, 
Film editor and St. Francis resident Mo Kaufman was nearly killed just a few blocks from the building. He was out on a walk when a man in a car fired three (sighs) rounds at him. According to Kaufman, he was on the corner of Taft and Hollywood, so just like two blocks west, when a man with, quote, dark bushy brown hair in a dark blue suit drove by him and shot him. Kaufman says that after the first two shots rang out, he shouted, hey, what's the idea? Yeah. The third shot hit him in the leg. So I guess that was the idea. He's like, okay, now I get it. (laughs) I'm not complaining anymore. I'm running (laughs) or trying to. (laughs) He said that he had no idea why anyone would want to shoot him. And that wouldn't be the last time that someone was shot at the hotel. In 1979, 44-year-old Cliff Key's ear was grazed by a bullet while he was standing directly outside the St. Francis. Oh. The bullet was believed to have been fired from across the street, but the shooter wasn't found. In 1956, a resident of the hotel was shot and killed while she was working behind the counter of the soda fountain at Owl Drugstore. Now, this murder did not take place at the St. Francis, but... It kind of led me down a, a rabbit hole I want to touch on. Okay. But she did live at the St. Francis. She took those bad vibes with her. Yes. 26-year-old Virginia May Payne was behind the counter when 45-year-old John Tedderoff finished his meal, approached the counter, and shot her. <gasps> Tedderoff knew her. Just a week prior, Virginia had accused him of kidnapping and raping her. Oh, my God. So this is a very bad man. Yeah. Tedderoff told police that he had known Virginia for seven months and that she had stolen his money. Now, he did go away for prison and everything, to, to prison and all that, but this story isn't about that. Because then I looked up the address of this pharmacy where this woman was killed, and today it's the target across the street from the Beverly Center. Oh, my God. We were just, what were we just talking about? That yeah. The Beverly Center's curse. Absolutely. And I think the Beverly Connections curse too. Yeah. Just by being in close proximity. That whole area is just it needs to go. It's really <laughs> It's a really <laughs> fucked up area. I don't know what to do about it. It's crazy. Yeah. So this used to be Owl Pharmacy. And it went through a series of changes. It was right. Rexall Drugs, then it was Rite Aid at some point, and then it became Target recently. Yeah. And that was the site of this of that Owl Drugs. So I also decided to look up other incidents that have occurred at this particular site where this woman was shot. And in 1949, the Santa who the drugstore had hired to take Christmas pictures with the kids. Oh, no. Robbed the place. <gasps> that bad, was bad Santa. <laughs> that, that was the only incident I could find. I mean, that would be traumatizing for the kids, maybe, if they saw it happen. I'm just, I, I wish I knew more. Like, what is this guy's plan? They hired this guy. That they, they even, um, they quoted the manager of the store. He was devastated. He's like, I spent $150 on his custom Santa suit. He was a very large guy. Yeah. We needed to get a cust- him a custom suit. And I then mean, he just all Santa suits made for that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
but he said he spent $150 mm-hmm. on it, and that's in 1949 money. So that's like $10,000. <laughs> yeah, it's around, it's, it's between $10,000 and $1 million. And then this Santa, I don't know, presumably he does one day of work, and then he he robs the place and takes off. He's like, he took off with my suit, too. And the little girl was looking at him, and she's like, Santa? Yeah. That's wrong. <laughs> Like Cindy Lou. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's very the Grinch moment there. One of the hotel's notable residents was showgirl Ronnie Quillen. Now, we have to do an episode on Ronnie Quillen. I don't know if you know who this is. I don't. But she has had a wild life. I bet. So, TB, TBA... Yeah, to be announced point. when we get that episode together. Does she have a lot of info on her? Oh yeah, uh-huh. there's lots. I mean, she was arrested multiple times. She has a very um, long rap sheet. Yeah, and she was like a hot redhead. Oh, so I know you're interested, yeah. Desi. That was when every showgirl had red hair. It was very common because <laughs> it was for harlots. Yeah, because harlots had red hair. Yeah, it was such a trend. So. This woman lived at the St. Francis Hotel, and she was there. I don't think she was there when she died. She actually died at the doctor's office, but I just thought I'd have to mention that, that she was there. Why, how did she die? Was it sus? Yeah, it was suspicious. Okay. A guy beat her up, oh, and then damn. she died like the next day. <gasps> oh, my God. So not not good. In December of 1977, police stormed the St. Francis after a man and a woman called the cops claiming to be the Hillside Stranglers. What? Yeah. These people were like pulling a prank, I guess. (gasps) What a dummy. I mean, I think you have to be like really probably under the influence of something to do this, to think this is a good idea. Like to think, I mean, I guess if you're really... Wasted. It sounds funny. You're like, let's call the let's <laughs> pretend we're the hillside stranglers. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a man and a woman. They probably had just fucked. Yeah. She thought it was hilarious. She thought it was so funny. And then the cops raided the place. They're like, we got him. Yeah. These two people just called admitting to it. She's crying and she's like blaming him immediately. Right. Even though it was yeah. his, her idea. Mm-hmm. In September of 1983, two different people were murdered at the hotel on the same night. 32-year-old Sifa Gunguntau, he had been shot and killed, and 44-year-old J. Anthony Scott was stabbed to death in his room. Mm. Police investigated to see if these were related, but it didn't appear. It appeared to be just one horrific night involving two different people. I mean, I think... That type of place where there's not like these long term leases, and you're getting people in and out. Yeah, it seems like a magnet for people doing shady things. Yeah, and obviously, I'm sure most of the people who lived there were not shady people. Oh, were totally. Just, and there are legit reasons you need a short term rental. Like, of course. But it does seem to be like a place where you know people can go in and out. It's like a perfect place for someone like that. Including James Earl Ray. <gasps> he stayed there? He stayed there. Oh, my God. Like a month before he murdered Dr. Martin Luther King. Damn. So 
There's, I mean, th- this place has a long history of weird and I mean, awful things happening. Any place in Hollywood that's been around for a hundred years <laughs> is bound to have a ton of stuff. I think that's what that might be. I mean, Hollywood really does. Like when you look at like paranormal stats or people who claim that there's paranormal activity in places in Los Angeles, Hollywood always has the biggest concentration. Well, and like I said about the hotels, the town is kind of transient. A lot of people come for jobs. They don't stay very long. So I think you just get a ton of people in and out. I'm not saying they're doing bad things. No. But it's just like a lot of people coming in and out. It's just a mix of different vibes. Yeah. And not all of them are good ones. So since the St. Francis closed, the interior was renovated and it became the Gershwin apartment complex. And for as low as $1,425 a month, you can rent a 223-square-foot bachelor apartment in this cursed location. 223 square foot? 223 square feet. So that's tiny. That is... It's like a room. Maybe the size of this room. Yeah. Maybe. Wow. Is it? It might be the size of this room. Our studio. Maybe. It might be a little bigger than this room, but it's not. It's a small apartment. It's very small. It has a kitchenette. Right. That's like one room where you have that little kitchenette and With, a small bathroom. You got a hot plate. Yeah. Maybe. And you have a mini fridge. Yes. That's what the kitchenettes have is they have that mini fridge. Yes. Generally. So I I looked at the Yelp reviews of the Gershwin apartments. People were very upset. Oh. At the state of, of this apartment complex. Doesn't um, it honestly doesn't sound much different from the apartment complex I lived in in Hollywood. Except mine was actually shittier than this one looked. You're, you had a big apartment, though. I did have a big apartment. It was big and shitty. It was big and real shitty. It was good in my in my 20s, but... I mean, people are paying a lot of money for rent in LA. Yeah. And I think it's uh, when you're getting bad service from your landlord or it's, owner, it's frustrating. It's super frustrating. Uh, it shouldn't happen. No, it's ridiculous. It's fucking bullshit. Because the people who own these buildings are very wealthy. Well, if you're cutting everything down to 200 square feet to get more renters in and then still not taking care of shit, I mean, yeah. you're a piece of shit. Go fuck yourself. Don't fucking own property. Yeah, if you don't want to take care of it. Yeah, I mean, it's the least you can do. <sighs> Our next location is decidedly more glamorous than the Gershwin apartment complex. Ooh. The John Soden House. John Soden. You know this place. Okay. Built in 1926 by architect Lloyd Wright. That's Frank Lloyd Wright's son. Mm -hmm. This home was first owned by painter and photographer John Soden. The property is located at 5121 Franklin Avenue in Los Feliz and is one of the more unusual looking homes in Los Angeles. The style has been called Neo-Mayan or Mayan Revival, as the exterior resembles an ancient Mayan pyramid. Yeah, I know this house. You know this house. Of course. Soden only lived in the house for a few years before he sold it in 1930. Over the years, the home has changed owners several times, 
But the reason that this place has been deemed haunted is that from 1945 to 1950, the home belonged to George Hodel. <laughs> oh, good old George. We'll, we'll do a 10-part episode on him at some point. <laughs> and all the crimes he's been accused of. I mean, yeah. this guy. I mean, that's how I know the house, because I know he lived there. <laughs> this guy. So... If you don't know George O'Dell, he's come up many times on this podcast, almost as many times as Ronald Reagan. He was a doctor and a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder. And his son believes many other murders. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Steve Hodell, his son, he's convinced that his father tortured and murdered Elizabeth Short in this home. Yeah. He thinks that this happened in the basement of this Soden house. And Steve is convinced that his dad murdered at least three or four other women in this house. Yeah. I mean, he lived there a while. And that was during where he was really supposedly active. active. But then he got active again, allegedly, when he was the Zodiac killer. (laughs) He moved to the Bay Area. He moved to the Bay. (laughs) He was the Zodiac killer, which... I always I I thought he moved out of the country following the rape trial. I don't know. I feel like I know so much information about him, but I have zero timeline. Yeah, because it seems like he lived like a hundred years. <laughs> like there, I just feel like there's so much he did and whatever his time on Earth was that it's like really hard for me to place where and when things were happening. No, that's what overwhelms me about doing a George Hodel episode and obviously like I would love to read like I read some of Steve Hodel's book The Black Dahlia Avenger right but I would love to like read his whole series just to really get inside his head and understand well because it's almost an episode on him Right. In a way. <laughs> to be honest, I feel like I'd rather do an episode on Steve Hodel than George Hodel. Because he's more interesting. He's so much more interesting. I'm genuinely fascinated by him. I also think that he, out of anyone on planet Earth, has the worst daddy issues. Imagine spending your life trying to prove your dad killed a lot of people. Like that is his whole deal. <laughs> That's and, like and wild. I kind of respect it. Right. I have zero problem with anyone, by the way, telling the world their parent was a killer if it's true. And I think George Hodel is a bad guy. I don't yeah. I don't think obviously I don't <laughs> think George Hodel was Zodiac or all of these other serial killers. But I appreciate Steve Hodel's dedication to gathering evidence to prove that his dad um, assassinated JFK, assassinated no, Abraham Lincoln, This is a next-level devotion to letting the world know your dad's a piece of shit. Like, we get it, Steve. I know. <laughs> no one has ever gone to greater lengths to prove it to the world, and yeah. you've got to respect it. I do respect it. It is a dedication like no other, and I would love to have him on the pod. He should come on the pod. I think he would come on the pod. I don't think he turns down any offer, to be honest. No. Even after I said that. (laughs) He'd still come on. I I hope if he's listening to this that he's not thinking I'm disparaging him. I'm genuinely fascinated by this person. I Like I said, I find him more fascinating than his dad. Like, yeah. Because this is a... 
there's a lot of gross murderers who are awful people in the world. I yeah. don't know anyone else like Steve O'Dell. <laughs> He's yeah. like a completely unique presence. Because generally when someone accuses someone's parent of murder, you expect them to be like, no way, my dad didn't do that. Or have or, a hard time. Or have a hard time or they or whatever in the case of um BTK, it's a, it completely upends your life emotionally and you don't want to believe it, but you have to accept it. And you feel really stained by it a lot of times. Yeah, it is a horrible thing to have happen to you as a child to learn that your parent right. is a serial killer, I would imagine. Yeah. But in this case, he is actively seeking out evidence <laughs> to prove that not only is his dad the murderer of the Black Dahlia, his his dad is the Zodiac. His dad, um, did he think his dad killed JFK? Was did I make that up? I don't know, but I wouldn't doubt it. But there are like the Golden State kill. I mean, like several yeah. different serial his killers. His dad taught Charles Manson everything he knows. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's literally like every famous case in the country. You will often find George Hodel's name pop up, mostly because of Steve Hodel putting it there. Right, like it is like cases where it doesn't even make sense. Well, sometimes, and if you're in the thick of hearing Steve Hodel talk, like because he's on a lot of shows, mm-hmm. and um, obviously in his writings, sometimes you're like, oh, it could be. <laughs> like you get kind of wrapped up in it because obviously he's cherry picking, yeah. right? Yeah. We learned a lot about that when we were talking about the Zodiac killer murders. It's like very easy to prove your case when you leave out a lot of the other evidence that you know, counter, uh, counters it. Right. So, um, yeah, when he's talking, it's very easy to believe. Cause it's like, Whoa, he was in San Francisco that day. Like it just all adds up like all these things. And then it's like, Oh, but he wasn't, you'll, you'll find the other facts that sort of like obviously prove it's not true. Well, it's interesting. This is why I think his daddy issues are so supreme. One of the reasons why his, his blinders, I mean, cops get blinders. He's a former homicide detective. Right. And we all know that. Um, and he worked on famous cases that are not related to his dad, I think. Yeah, like he's, yeah. He, he was a legitimate homicide detective. But it's, it's like you would think, it's like all of his criminology goes out the window when it comes to his father because they're... they're it's like, oh, well, his MO is all over the place then. He's got a real blind spot when it comes to his dad. <laughs> and it's like the reverse of what you would think it would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so Steve O'Dell is convinced that the Soden house is haunted. I believe it. By, I mean, look, whether or not his father killed Elizabeth Short, I would buy that that house was haunted just by virtue of George Hodell existing in that space. And the Frank Lloyd Wright family, they're also a little haunted because they have a real tragedy in their family tree with Frank Lloyd Wright. One of his houses burned down and like killed many of his, I think some of his children and possibly his wife at the time. And it set off this sort of like bad vibe for that family. Right. So it has some energy that's negative in addition to the Hodel stuff. I didn't even think about that. That's true. So George Hodel came under suspicion for murdering Elizabeth Short following his 1949 trial of ra- for raping his daughter. His daughter claimed that 
he killed <gasps> Elizabeth Short. So his daughter had um, accused him of that as well. The fact that George Hodel was a doctor also aroused suspicion based on the surgical-like technique that was right. used to bisect Elizabeth Short. So there are, as we said, there are a lot of circumstantial evidence. Of all the things, that's the one I would buy the most. That he was a doctor. No, <laughs> that he killed Elizabeth Short. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the only yeah. one yes. where I'm like, that could be true. I, I believe that. Yeah. I could believe that. It does make the most sense. Of course, yeah. Steve Hodell described the home in his book, Black Dahlia Avenger. He said, Once through the gate, you turned immediately to your right and continued up a dark passageway, then made another right turn to the front door. It was like entering a cave with secret stone tunnels, within which only the initiated could feel comfortable. While murder hasn't been proven, Steve Hodel does remember him and his brothers being beaten up by their father in the basement of the house. <gasps> this house was also the site of a lot of George Hodel's wild sex and drug parties. Right. So a lot of crazy shit went down when he lived there. Yeah. After George Hodel's acquittal in the rape of his daughter, mm. he sold the house and left the country. But except for that trip to San Francisco. <laughs> except when he went back to the States and to the Bay Area in the late sixties and was the Zodiac. Um yeah, what a wild family. So over the last twenty years, the home has been bought and sold a few more times and has been used for a variety of Parties, fundraisers, films, TV shows, music videos, etc. Right. This place is a real set piece. Is it right on Franklin? It's on Franklin. I'm trying to place where it is. I, f- I thought it was more back off the street. It is right on Franklin, just before Normandy. You can see the front entrance looking like with these sort of Mayan-esque bricks. Yeah, it's a very distinct-looking house. Um, I actually went to a party at one of... um, A house that was designed by Lloyd Wright. Oh, shit. That's off of Franklin, you know, in that area of Hollywood. Yeah. Is it like Beachwood Canyon or something like that? Well, this is Los Feliz. Right, so this would be a little further west. west. And the, the whole reason I went to that event, which I normally wouldn't have gone to, was because it was in that house. And I was like, I, I got to go see the house. I got to go inside. Yeah. Lloyd Wright had these real odd, like, I mean, for the time, I guess, they were sort of these very avant-garde houses, the style of architecture. Right. And this one was a more modern version, but had the Mayan influence as well. Yeah. Um yeah, so it was I mean, cool. It is remarkable looking inside this house. I've only seen pictures, but I'm just going to let you guys know, give you a little update on who's owned the house in the last 10 years. Yeah, who's owned it? Um, well, actually, just last week, Neiman Marcus hosted a star-studded party at this home oh. to celebrate the opening of the new Scaparelli store inside the Beverly Hills Neiman Marcus. Wow. So um, that's what got me. I saw the pictures from that, and that's what got me thinking, I bet that house is haunted. Yeah. And I remembered, oh, yeah, because George Hodel lived there. Right. 
Yeah. I would love to go to a party at this house. I know. I mean, I'm trying to find more. Like I said, I was like, oh, wait, it's at that house? I'll go. Like, I want to go in the house and look around. desperately want to go to this house. One thing I was going to say about the house that I went to that was really interesting, it had, like, you entered off the street, and you know the houses in Hollywood. You can't really see the house. You just see the door. Yeah. And you don't see what the house looks like until you get inside and, like, look back. The ones on the hill. The ones on the hill oftentimes look like nothing from the outside. Right. Um, But when I entered... It was like, because it's on a hill, it had a long staircase down, like these cement staircase down to the living area. And the stairs were like a little too narrow. Mm. (laughs) I just remember walking down them in heels and being like, I would literally kill myself probably (laughs) falling down these stairs if I lived in this house because they're like an inch too narrow. It's very subtle, but it was like, shit, this is, I almost had to turn my foot a little Mm. sideways like to do that. Like wide, you mean? No, like the depth. Oh, the depth of the stairs. The depth of the stairs was like a little too not deep enough. It wasn't like, deep. Right. And it was just like, I literally had to turn my foot a little bit. Shit. And it was fucking scary because it was all hard cement. Yeah. It was just like made for a cursed fall. Right. That's not for me. Oh my God. It was stressful because I was like walking down and I was like, look, everyone's at the party there. Going to see me fall down <laughs> these I was like, never tried harder to walk in my life. I was like, I got to focus. Ugh. <laughs> Dan Goldfarb and his wife Jenny Landers bought the home in 2017 for $4.7 million. Dan runs a company called Canapet and they sell CBD products for pets. How you got that much money selling that? He made bank. <laughs> this guy Damn. made bank. I mean, the wife, the wife works in the industry. What industry? Jenny. Oh, the, the film uh, industry. Okay. I was like, the CBD industry. <laughs> <laughs> He told The Hollywood Reporter in 2019 that he hadn't experienced any negative energy in the house. He said, quote, from the outside of the house, you cannot tell what is going on. It looks like a fortress. On the inside, it's a whole other world. And the few people who get to see it feel how tranquil it is. But at night, with the fire going and the vibes, I can see how it could feel scary for some people. He also said, quote, We have these amazing Persian cats, and if any bad spirits arrive, they would keep them at bay. We feel it's a very peaceful place. So he said his cats would beat up the ghosts, basically. They're not on CBD. They're they're raring to go. They're alert. (laughs) They're going to get violent. Those cats are alert. This house was sold again recently, and it's now owned by Nate Dan... Danish Gar, who is the owner of the Grand Central Market here in LA. Oh. So that's the current owner. Okay. I think it sold for like $6 million. Ugh. People have too much money. Can you imagine how great it would be to have $6 million to buy a house? I feel like every time I see a house that I think is cool in LA, it's like at least $3 million. It's always. Yeah. It's always <laughs> $3 million <laughs> like, and up. I was like, what? Who is the, how many people are buying $3 million houses? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And these, by the way, are not monster 18,000 square feet mansions. No, they're, they're like, just normal houses. They're like 2,000 square foot houses. <laughs> yeah, they're like normal cool houses. <laughs> right. Mm. 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 Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. 
Desi. Yes. The Bristol Farms in Beverly Hills is haunted. Oh my God. Every Bristol Farms is haunted. (laughs) Bristol Harms. Bristol Harms. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Bristol Farms is an... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Upscale grocery store with a handful of locations around Los Angeles. And this one sits on Beverly and Doheny on the Beverly Hills WeHo border. And I lived across the street from it for oh, three really? years. Did you have an experience? I did go there with the very little money I had at that time and would buy like one item. Yeah, because everything there is $10. It's so ex- <laughs> it was so expensive. I don't know what I was doing. I was in my early 20s feeling really fancy going to the Bristol Farms. It was right across the street from my apartment. I, I really did. I shopped at Ralph's, which was like across the I, street. Honestly, that's a store where I'm like, how does this stay in business? It's so expensive. It's so expensive, and it's like they have such a weird arrangement of things. 
I mean, they had like their prepared stuff was good. Yes. I remember all I, those places have pretty good deli counter stuff. But before it was Bristol Farms, it was the site of legendary LA restaurant Chasen's. Oh. Now, Chasen's opened in 1936 and for decades was a favorite among celebrities. And did you know they were famous for their chili? I didn't. I don't know why I never thought of Chasen's as like a place that would have chili. That's like one of those things where rich people are like, it's chili. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's like they, it's like just serving something like that at your fit, fancy dinner party is just the most outrageous thing. So I do have a menu from 1960 from Chasen's. Let's just go over a little bit of what they had. First thing on the menu, beluga caviar. Absolutely. Prosciutto ham and melon. Yum. Which I feel like is very um, fancy for 1960. That's ahead of the curve. It's ahead of the game. Marchand French sardines, pâté foie gras de Strasbourg, crab legs or shrimp remoulade, herring and white wine, Dungeness cracked crab, escargot, prawns, French filet mackerel, vin blanc, chopped chicken liver, merit. So these are all just the little like meats, yeah, appetizer meats. Green turtle soup. No. <laughs> Mm-mm. Chicken broth. Vichoisie. Bula bula. I don't know what kind of soup that is. They have like a variety. They also have jellied consomme. No. Which is disgusting. French onion. Au no. gratin. I'll do that. That sounds really good. Their specialties are breast of chicken Charlemagne. Roast Eastern prime Beef rib, rock Cornish game hen with wild rice. They love the Cornish game hen with wild rice. Wild rice, <laughs> very modern for 1960. I would say, yeah. Also, but you know what? Because it, it's Cornish game hen, you gotta, gotta have wild. Gotta, you have to have wild rice with Cornish game hen. Literally peanut butter and jelly. Like <laughs> any kind of gamey bird, you put wild rice. Absolutely. Brazola steak, sweetbreads. No, I won't eat sweetbreads. Breaded veal cutlet, chicken livers. They have a Chasen's hamburger. Wow. Schnitzel Holstein. Ooh. Chicken burger, grenadine of beef. With chicken a- burger is very advanced. <laughs> too. A chicken. This place was so ahead of its time. Like, this will be really big in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is definitely not ahead of its time. Chicken Kiev. Classic. That is a classic mid-century dish. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of dishes that just have the name of a city like a city yeah. or a country. Those are always they're very 50s. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like beef stroganoff was also really big in the right. mid-century for as um anti-Soviet as this country was. We sure loved eating these like Slavic it foods. Was, yeah. They liked things where it was like, you can just mix ketchup and sour cream. It's right. It's the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I had chicken Kiev at a restaurant in Moscow. Oh. And it was, 
it was pretty good. But it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a good combination of things. It's, I I was kind of surprised that they had it because I I had thought it was like Americans invented it. What's the other chicken dish? It's stuffed with ham. Cordon Bleu. Yes. Disgusting. <laughs> I fucking hate it. Oh, it's good. Why? How could you hate that? It's all good things. Because we had it in rehab. Like, oh. It was like... <laughs> well, that's different. They were always serving us chicken cordon bleu, and it was like a lunch, a slice of gross lunch meat ham. Okay. With like uh, American cheese. Like, it was disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds bad. To feed a bunch of women who hadn't eaten. I feel like they were trying, though, because that, that's a little extra... <laughs> Yeah, they were trying to be like, look, it's the food's really good. It's yeah. fancy. You'll eat it and you'll like it. I mean, that's wild because you could buy a probably like a Stouffer's version that would be better than what they were putting together. Well, that's too expensive. That's true. For like 30 women? Yeah. I don't know. No, they had to no. do it on the cheap. I just, I, I, I'm forever scarred from chicken cordon bleu because of that, having to eat it there. This is a very big menu. They have yeah. like a huge seafood selection for dinner gr- stuff from the grill like filet mignon of course lamb chops oh i got to have lamb chops minute steak minute steak so that's like a thin it's a thin steak with o'brien potatoes of course they got a oh, cold good old buf- o'brien a, <laughs> they got a cold buffet <laughs> they got a heart heart of palm salad Oh, that's a classic too from back then. Mm. The Heart of Palms. You don't see Heart of Palms a lot anymore. That's like a, I like Heart of Palms. I do too. It's like, you. it should be used more. I'm kind of surprised. They have a lot of salads on this menu. They have a lot of different kinds of potatoes too. Oh, love it. Parsley potatoes, au gratin, hash brown, baked Idaho, hashed mm. in cream. Oh, yes, baby. <laughs> That French, good. <laughs> French fried, Lyonnaise, saute, or cottage fried for two. Or one, if you're me. Yeah. <laughs> I like when a restaurant's so fancy that they describe them as French fried. Yeah. They're not, they're not fries. French fries. They're French fried. They're French fried. Um, oh, man. Ogreton sounds so good. They have like a bunch of cheeses you can order. And then like they have a big dessert menu as well. Including peach melba. Yes. Which I've never had before. I haven't either, but that's a classic. I'm kind of like really fascinated by this menu because there are things that feel decidedly more modern. And then there are like things like, you know, potatoes, Lyonnaise, which are like, seems very mid century. We need to do a mid century dinners from around the world dinner party. <laughs> Everyone has to bring an old school dish that was like from like another country that people would serve at a dinner party. Yeah. Because I think that was a big thing back in the 50s to be like, you know, show how um, sort of sophisticated you were. Yeah. You made different foods from around the world. Yeah. There definitely was a lot of more global influence became popular in food. Like with the Pacific Island foods. Well, I have a few cookbooks that are vintage and they have they'll have whole sections on just foods from around the world. Yeah. And it's always really interesting. So back to haunted Bristol Farms. Chasen's closed in nineteen ninety seven and Bristol Farms opened in two thousand. And in a two thousand two article from the LA Times, then store director Luis Fajardo Luis Fajardo 
said that employees had reported paranormal activity at the store, such as shopping carts moving on their own. Well. It could happen. (laughs) But get this. The manager at the time, Pablo Solis, recounted a story of a ghost haunting the cafe area of the store. So you know how, like, it had that little Eden area? He said... Our former night maintenance man said a woman in white tapped him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, it's dirty inside the restaurant and the tables need to be cleaned. She just disappeared. He looked in and the tables hadn't been cleaned. He was really scared. Oh. So there's some old bitch haunting the... She's the original Karen. The Bristol Farms (laughs) in Beverly Hills. That seems like a very Beverly Hills haunting. It really is. (laughs) Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. The tables are dirty. That is a very Beverly Hills haunting. Oh, my God. That's really funny. That's my new favorite ghost story. It's titled, A Very Beverly Hills Haunting. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it could be. And our last location is Barney's Beanery. What? Barney's Beanery is fucked up, Desi. That's on, that's in WeHo, right? The WeHo location. Okay. There are a couple locations, but this is the original location. Right. We're going to go into the history of Barney's Beanery first. Finally. This... <laughs> I've always wanted to know. <laughs> this West Hollywood institution opened in 1920, and they are also famous for their chili. That makes more sense because beans, <laughs> it's right in the name. <laughs> Barney's Beanery. They've been serving the same chili since 1920. Um, I'm trying to, th- I think I've definitely been here one time. Yeah. Have you been here? Probably, right? Yeah. I mean, I lived in West Hollywood. Right. But I was never like a, you know how people are like really into Barney's Beanery? It's old inside, right? Yeah. I just was not a Barney's Beanery girl. No, that was another thing where I was like, oh, should I go to this? It's like, I've never been to Barney's Beanery. Let me go see. Like it was literally, I wanted to see inside. I was like, okay, that's good. I'm good. <laughs> no. When I was a Mickey's girl. Which okay. doesn't serve food. No. no. But if I was going to go to a place where people are like drinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't drink. I don't know. I just didn't. It wasn't like, I never felt like I had a reason to go there. The food's there. not great. Well, I've never had the food. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm just saying it's not that like I can, you, I can't yeah. remember. You wouldn't go for the food, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it opened over a hundred years ago. This bar and restaurant is located on a prime stretch of Santa Monica Boulevard. It sits on the eastern edge of West Hollywood's annual Halloween carnival. Ooh. And you can't have a restaurant be open for over 100 years and it not be haunted. Let's go back in time to some incidents that have happened over the years at Barney's Beanery. In 1942... 45-year-old assistant film director Robert Red Golden died at the restaurant. Oh, my God. He choked (gasps) to death. The headline of the Pasadena Star News said, Film aide chokes to death on meat bite. Oh, no. He choked to death eating his steak dinner. And his dinner date said it was the very first bite. I'm always scared of choking on steak. It seems really easy to choke on. You really got to chew it up. Because it's so tough. 
it's tough if you just swal- try to swallow it because you don't want to chew it anymore. Because you're hungry. Yeah. And you want to eat it I've fast. Been, we've all, we've been, all there. been there. Well, this guy died from it. So make sure to chew your food, guys. Or cut smaller bites. Or make smaller bites. In 1946, French cyclist Alfred Albert Letourneau was arrested after he stabbed his girlfriend, Marcel, at Barney's Beanery. Oh, my God. She was allegedly flirting with the bartender when Alfred plunged a 14-inch carving knife into her thigh. That he got there? I guess. Oh, my God. Now, the LA Daily News claimed that the knife went into her butt. What? Some places said butt. Some places said thigh. Wow. The LA Daily News was really rude about this, too. They said that he stabbed her, quote, just north of the sirloin. Oh, my God. That is rude. That's That's so inappropriate. And actually, I feel like everyone who said butt was trying to be funnier. Well, they said derriere. <laughs> okay. Well, but, still. but still, they're trying to be... They're trying to be juicier. They're like, trying to be cheeky. Yeah. They're trying to be cheeky. Well, that was a little cheeky, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, this woman did survive. She right. was taken to the hospital, um, and then there was like a whole like court case about it. I mean, not that I want to get stabbed, but a butt's probably a great place, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's, it's juicy. like... There's no... Big, you know, it's like your front. You don't want to get stabbed in the stomach. And you don't want to get stabbed in the sirloin. Is that the pussy? Is that what they were talking about? No. They said just north of the sirloin. I guess if she was upside down. I'm I'm like actually trying to picture this as if I know how, how the meats are laid out on a cow. Why would they? Is it, where is the sirloin? I feel like I don't even know where the sirloin is. On the cow. I think it's on the sides. Yeah. I mean, don't loin. at me. I do loin. not know. What's yeah. a loin? Oh, yeah. you're. That's great. Good job. Yeah, that's like on your front, like the front side, right? So they were trying to be disgusting. I believe so. In 1951, Deputy Sheriff Frank Bridges was eating dinner at Barney's Beanery when a 27-year-old man named David Gregg approached him and said, Hey, you're the guy who arrested me a few weeks ago. <laughs> The deputy sheriff looked at him and said, yes, I did arrest you a few weeks ago. Oh. And that's when David Gregg punched the sheriff in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he was, of course, arrested again. <laughs> but I kind of love this guy. I mean, I would have just punched him and not reminded him who I was. <laughs> then I could run. <laughs> like, that was not smart on his part. This guy is such a dumbass. I feel like he might have a little temper. Yeah, like he was he, so he's, mad. He's operating on an impulse. He's like, this guy's eating, just thinks he can be at Barney's be, eating his chili. Hey, what's the big idea? You arrested me. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> In September of 1973, 24-year-old Joseph Pichet got into an argument with a guy he was playing pool with. The unidentified guy pulled out a gun and started shooting. <gasps> Joseph got hit in the leg. And when the bartender, 34-year-old Robert Rush, came over to help, the unidentified man fired several shots into him. Another nearby man was hit in the thigh. So the bartender died oh, no. in the situation. And more recently, in 2008, a fight broke out inside Barney's Beanery that ended up spilling out onto the street, resulting in a stabbing death. Wow. I feel like I remember that. That was a big story. Yeah, it does sound kind of familiar, but really, really sad. So those are the two most recent incidents that were violent, and they were both murders. So the employees at Barney's Beanery from this 
2011 Los Angeles Times article I read, they were like, yeah, this place is really haunted. I'm going to tell you what they said. The restaurant's manager at this time was Jonah Dumont. He told the LA Times in 2011 that after closing, he's witnessed multiple times a ghostly figure walk past his office. He said, I've seen it 20 plus times. At first, I assumed it was a busboy in a white shirt walking by. But this was no busboy, Desi. The ghost never even triggered the motion sensor alarm. <gasps> Ooh. And like you, Desi, Jonah Dumont was a paranormal skeptic. Okay. But not until he started working at Barney's Beanery. He's completely changed his mind. He's changed. He believes in ghosts now because he's seen this ghost at least 20 times. Oh, my God. He said that he wasn't alone in having paranormal experiences at the restaurant. A bartender had also witnessed a ghost wearing a white shirt. Oh, that's like, and that's like what chefs wear. It's a jacket. Like that chef's jacket? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that maybe it was like a dead chef. Maybe. Cook. Cook. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of ghosts maybe wear white. Dumont told the Times, people started telling me their own ghost stories about the coolers downstairs. The same bartender who had seen the white shirt walk by said that at one point the beer system would keep messing up. Someone would switch off the levers. The Times article continues quoting several different employees. A waitress named Ashway said that she was terrified to go downstairs by herself to the walk-in fridge. She said, I looked over at the kegs of beer and saw something off-white, like an amoeba, moving past the kegs. I went back upstairs and told a bartender that I thought I'd seen a ghost, and he asked, did it look like a big blob moving across the kegs? Oh my God. I hadn't told him what it looked like before that. A cook named Raul also experienced the haunted walk-in fridge, saying that he went down there and could hear the sounds of kegs being dragged across the floor. That sounds scary. But no one was there. He was so scared that he transferred to the Santa Monica location. We got to go to this Barney's Beanery. You, there, to be honest, I believe this so hard because if you... You got to be really fucking terrified to transfer to the Santa Monica location. That's true. Like to drive, to make that drive, to go to, to be like, yes, I will willingly drive to Santa Monica to work. Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming he doesn't live there. He would have worked there already. Yeah, he, he maybe he lives closer to the Barney's Beanery WeHo. Absolutely, I'm assuming. I'm yeah. just saying from my own experience. No one wants to drive to Santa Monica for work? I used to have to, and it was <laughs> awful. Anyway, our final haunting of Barney's Beanery was from another cook who claimed that he saw in the kitchen after closing, quote, small boys with long teeth and long fingernails. No one wants that. That's really <laughs> fucked up. What in the F? <laughs> We have small to go. Small children, small Sm- boys, small boys, teeth and long fingernails. <laughs> Ooh, I don't want that. I don't want that. And it wasn't on Halloween. This is just something he saw. That's in so the kitchen. Fucking scary. They were hungry. Oh my god. We have to go to this Barney's Beanery. We have to try their allegedly famous chili. I'm betting. I bet you the chili. Order it, and it's not going to be very hot. It's not going to be hot. That's my prediction. It's not going to be hot enough. 
<laughs> it is not going to be hot enough. That is my prediction. You know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly the kind of chili it's going to be, and I want to be wrong. I want to yeah. be wrong so bad because I'm being very prejudiced right now. Yes. I I thought I had a supernatural experience last night. What? But. What? Okay. So I was like going about my business, and all of my foster kittens were standing at my door and staring at it. Mm. All of them. All six of them staring at the door. Desi, that, and I heard something. That is supernatural. Well, I went and looked out the window by my front porch where I could see the door, and there was a raccoon. <laughs> God damn it. There was a raccoon <laughs> trying to... There was a, I put like a... Emptied out the bag of cat food and put it on uh, the front porch. Uh, so there must have been some crumbs of food in there. Oh, my God. And this raccoon literally looked like a bandit, first of all. <laughs> Because it has the little mask on. And he would just stop and stare right at me. And I was like, this is scary. And I I wanted to open the door to get him away. But then I was like worried one of my cats would run out and get into a fight with him or something. You don't know what animals are going to do in those situations. Yeah. But it was actually a really cute fat raccoon. But it was really aggressive. So then I had to wait for it to run and throw that bag away. Ugh. But yeah, seeing all the cats standing there, I was like, what's going on? That is so funny. <laughs> I'm devastated it was a raccoon because I, I, I thought we, we had broken you. No. I mean, most of my paranormal experiences involve cats staring right. where they scare me. But, but I, this had a reason. I do believe like children, cats are able to um, pierce through the veil easier than, oh, totally. than humans. Because... Look, everybody who is a cat owner knows that that moment when your cat is just like staring at something. They've got witchy vibes. They have total um, like six senses. Yeah. One of my cats one time was just staring up at the attic in my house. I've never <sighs> been in the attic before, but it was like eerie. Yeah. Like, why are you? St- what's in the attic? No, they set you on edge when they do that. It's like, come on. Yeah. And then if you find a solution, it's like better, like seeing the fat raccoon. I was like, okay, she's a fat <laughs> raccoon. <laughs> Burglar, right? I was wondering why you took a picture of this little bandit <laughs> raccoon. That was on my, that was right in front of my front door, that guy looking at me. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. That's so wild. It was so funny. And they were losing it. Like, you know, because of course I would try to take a picture and it would run away. So then I was like, we have to be quiet so it comes back because I want to get a picture. And then they would just be like freaking out when he Ugh. left. They were so on point. They were like, we're ready for battle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway. Ugh, I love it. Anyway, that's our haunted LA part two. We will be back in a few days for the mini episode. Bye. Bye. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com 
for terms.